chief coach, the sports dad, the sports parents, here to talk grassroots to the professional game and what it takes to raise the next star. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be. You are listening to the Chief Coach Podcast. A journey in sports requires investment. Investment, in turn, allows for long-term planning. And in sports, it's no different like any other sector. Today in episode six, we'll look at an area of sports funding and programs. And to help us understand this area is the director of Sport England, Phil Smith, who I had the pleasure of working with at the Football Association. Welcome to the Chief Coach Podcast, Phil. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure and it's lovely to speak to you again. Great, great. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I can. Uh, well, my name is Phil Smith. I'm the de- Director of Sport at Sport England, as you've said. I am 48 years old. Uh, I've been in this position for now 12 years, which feels like a long time to say it. Uh, Prior to this, I worked with your good self at the Football Association in England, in London. And prior to that in my career, I was a football specialist. So I worked through uh, the various levels of the football industry, starting with a voluntary position because my family have always been involved in amateur grassroots football. It was always my family's thing. I spent my youth on the touchline or on the field at Sunday League football games. Uh, And when I was old enough to think about what I might do as a job and a career, I wondered how I might get paid for doing something that I love doing for free. So uh, I'm a lifelong sport career and uh, I really love what I do. And I especially love working with children and young people to give them the kind of pleasure I've always got out of sport. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's great to hear that because, I mean, for, for those listening, it uh, gives them the, the understanding that um, passion is, is everything in, in what you decide to do. Um, and sport is no, no different. And whether you're a professional athlete or just somebody that wants to work in the sector, there, there is room for growth and development in, in different areas. Now, kind of going on to your role at um, Sport England, um, I know that... As, as we always kind of say, it, everything starts from, from the grassroots level. Um, and, and that's talking about the, the children, the youth, um, and how they become better within society, how they grow. Now, funding, obviously, is, um, is a very, very critical area within this space. Um, sports, like any other sector, requires a lot of funding that is accessible for those wanting to take part um, and for running various programs um, and whether you want to build infrastructure on, and so on. How does Sport England help in making funding accessible, in particular around youth sports? Well, firstly, let me explain Sport England's existence. It's an arm's length body of the UK government. So we're not inside the government, but equally, we get our pay and rations and instructions from the government in the UK. So our role is to promote and develop sport and all forms of physical activity to the population at large to get as many people as possible playing sport or volunteering in sport or engaged in sport and of course the wider aspects of physical activity. We've realised as has most of the world in recent years that physical activity and movement is absolutely vital for health 
both physical and mental. So Sport England's job is to help people choose the type of activity and movement that is right for them, whether they are young children or whether they are in later life. So Sport England's role in doing so exists primarily outside the education system. Because of the way the UK government is constructed, the Department for Education looks after what goes on inside schools and Sport England funds and develops and helps people to uh, get involved in sport outside of the school gates or curriculum time. Sometimes that's a difficulty because those barriers or those lines are not necessarily drawn in real life. They're drawn in government diagrams and structures. But of course, it's the same kids who at 3.30 go from being school pupils to being perhaps members of clubs. And in some cases, it takes place on the same facilities. So we work really hard to try and try and join up the government in terms of what goes on in school and out of school. Wow. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think obviously understanding the dynamics of sport, sport England itself. Now I'm pretty sure that um, like, like the organization um, working within that spe specific space, uh, the challenge around how to get sports back is, is, has been the topic of everybody's conversation, every key stakeholder. I mean, it becomes, it's that sector that everyone wants to see thriving again. Uh, obviously, with all the precautions in, in, in place, we've seen various professional sports return, but the area of great concern is around the grassroots level because we're not seeing, obviously, enough children out and about in parks, kicking a football, um, throwing a rugby ball, um, picking up a cricket bat, whichever sport it is. How do, how do you see return to sports for, for children and parents in, in particular um, in the next, let's say, few months or even next year? Well, this is a really good time to talk about this subject, partly because we're in such a difficult place around the world with the inability of people to exercise and move in a way that they would like and in a way that um, being active gives them uh, the chance of a long and healthy and happy life. We're also in a good time to talk about it because Sport England only last week, would you believe, launched its new strategy for the next 10 year period, which is called Uniting the Movement. And amongst many of the themes in that strategy, one of them, uh, and perhaps the most prominent for right now, is to ensure that positive experiences are what children and young people receive in sport and activity. So it goes without saying, I think, that every child and young person has the right to be active and to benefit from being active in a safe, positive, trusted environment. And for those who are lucky enough to have it, for all kids to have an equal chance of achieving their potential. And I know that we're gonna talk about talented young people shortly, but positive experiences at an early age not only help build the foundations for an active life, but if kids have experiences that feel fun, that feel positive, that give them a sense of confidence, they are much more likely, statistically, I can prove this, they are much more likely to want to be active in the future. So the foundation experience those kids receive, and this is true right across the globe, fun and enjoyment has got to be first. 
sport and physical activity can do so much for mental and physical well-being and we can prove that now too it does so much for people and for children it's even more profound so around the world where there's evidence that uh, obesity levels are increasing in some developed nations where mental health is deteriorating especially this year for some kids um it, i'll give you an example uh in terms of the rates of between five and 16 year olds who may have had problems with their mental health uh, to such an extent that it impacts their daily lives. That was one in nine young people in the UK in 2017. And in 2020, that was one in six. So you can see already that we have a we have an issue. I'm hesitating to call it a crisis, but it's definitely an issue. It, it can be proven that children who are more active are happier. They're more resilient. They're more trusting of others. And of course, then they can go on to have productive and economically valuable and uh, useful and happy lives. So I hope I'm not overstating the case for sport and activity here. Uh, but all of this can be evidenced, apart from the fact that you and I, I think, agree on the fact that sport has just been fun. It's given us a lot of things in life beyond careers and beyond fitness. It's given us friends. It's given us, taken us to places, both literal and metaphorical. We never thought we would go. And it's done wonderful things. But it's, partic it's true for all kids. It's true for all kids, whether you make a career in sport or you don't, that the, the sheer benefits of physical activity can be with you for your whole life so back to your question how do we get kids to return to sport as well and as safely and as quickly as possible well of course that's different in each country depending on the situation with the coronavirus but what we are convinced about in england and the uk is that uh, enjoyment is the absolute key we want every child and every young person to experience the enjoyment and the benefits of being active can bring and the, the needs of those children, their expectations and their safety should come first in whatever we design and deliver in activity. I found in my career that very often sport is designed by the people delivering it for the people delivering it and not always necessarily for those who are receiving it. And that's massively important for kids. Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, you, you, you're so right there. And, and I think this is, um, I mean, you made, you made a very valid point, obviously, in terms of how it's going to be different across nations. Um, but I believe, obviously, there'll be a lot of learnings um, from, from those that get it right in terms of the return to sports and, and others to follow suit. Um, and that, that, that I believe that we're going to see more probably a lot more collaborations um, because I, I believe this, this is the era of collaborations where um, stakeholders are able to not only work within their own environment, but also share best practices outside of it. Now, this kind of brings me on to communication, which I always feel is very, very key um, when talking about sports as, as a sector. I mean, when, for instance, I've been in Nigeria for the last um seven years and uh, what i've always seen as a gap is, is is communication as to what sports is within society and the lack of understanding of it being um, a business now i recently saw a post um uh, sport england did a video which i mean was was absolutely amazing i mean it actually gave me goosebumps um, it showed the need for sports obviously to come back into our society whether you're young middle-aged or old 
I mean, is this part of a wider ca campaign from Sport England and, and what do you believe it will achieve, obviously, in terms of unlocking um, individuals getting back to it, but then also the corporate environment um, also um, perhaps providing the funding, um, additional funding to, to sustain it? I've learned something really important, Coy, in the time I've been with Sport England. I mean, I've learned thousands of things, but the one thing that sticks out in this particular case is that I was wrong when I arrived in my understanding about what people want from sport and activity and therefore what would attract them to it. Because I come from a background of loving sport, it's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. It felt like a part of me. In fact, in some ways you could say it's how I've defined myself because it's been a career for me. It's been something I do with my spare time. It's something I now do with my own children in the spare time that we've got. I coach a football team. I've got my kids involved in all manner of different sports and activities. So I am one of the converted. I am absolutely at the extreme end of uh, my love for sport and activity. And what I didn't realize until I've now learned through my 12 years at Sport England, looking at insight, looking at data, looking at what the rest of the country, in our case in England, thinks about sport. I'm the freak. <laughs> I did not understand, probably until later than I should have done, that not everybody's like me. <laughs> uh, having worked at the FA, having worked with you, having worked with a number of different sports in my early years at Sport England, I made a very lazy assumption that sport is brilliant and if everybody could just see what I can see, they would agree to. And everybody would get involved and kids would get involved and women would get involved and people from different ethnic backgrounds and people with different incomes and people with disabilities. You know, all people who are not like me, they would just have to see what I could see and they would be converted in the way that I have been. And, and it's not true. It's not true because sport has largely, as I said previously about kids, spent its time delivering in a way that suits people like me. The people who are already converted, the people who already see the value, the people who get a real enjoyment out of it, who don't have to be persuaded to be physically, physically active or sporty. Um, and one thing we've learned uh, the one major thing I've learned in recent years is that in order to market and present sport and activity to people who are not like me, which is the vast majority, it turns out, in order to present it to those people, you've got to do it differently. And that's where Sport England's most successful campaign of recent years came from called This Girl Can, which I'll talk about shortly. It's where the campaign you are talking about, which is called Join the Movement, comes from. It's from a very deep understanding, I hope, of what the consumers out there, who some of whom can take or leave physical activity and sport, some of them who actively dislike physical activity and sport, it comes from a much better understanding than ever before of what those people think and feel. And if I can give you this girl can as an example, uh, this was a campaign developed, I think it's about five years ago now, in response to the significant gender gap that we saw in the data in sport in the UK. So a, a much, much, much larger proportion of men uh, and boys 
took part in sport regularly than did women and girls. And we asked ourselves why. And we spent probably 18 months looking at what the women and girls themselves had to say about it. I know this is a revolutionary concept. Ask the people you're trying to reach what they think. Uh, but we did it and we did it for 18 months. And the thing that came above all the thousands of interviews and panels and focus groups and whatever that we did was a fear of judgment. There was a significant feeling in the minds of uh, female uh, respondents. It's not unique to female, by the way, Koi. So there's plenty of men out there who've got this in their heads as well. Fear of judgment that when doing sport or when doing physical activity, they feared what other people were thinking, were saying and judging them. So to bring that into real life, am I wearing the right clothes? Do I look a bit too fat? Is everybody else better than me? How will I know what to wear? Will the coach think I'm useless? How will I know whether I'm doing the right steps in a dance class? What happens if I get it wrong? Am I going to get picked from the team? I could go on, but you get the idea. All of these thoughts were in the heads of many, many more people, and in this case, women and girls, than we'd ever imagined. So this girl can was a deliberate campaign with that thought at its heart to try and convince an entire nation of women that they could either ignore the voice in their head that said those things or that they could learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. So this girl can uh, manage to do something that had never been done before, as far as I'm aware, around the world, let alone in the UK, which was almost, almost, it's still going, we're not quite there yet, but almost closed the gender gap between the levels of activity between males and females, men and women. Mm -hmm. Now, it's probably our proudest achievement in the 12 years that I've worked at Sport England. I'll give credit to uh, tons of people around the organization who were way more involved in it than I was personally, but nonetheless, I'm very proud of it and I'm very proud of what they did. So join the movement, which is now the campaign, a contemporary campaign to try and help people who are living in different circumstances because of the lockdown, because of the restrictions, join the movement. It has the same principle at its heart, which is getting in the heads of the people who are currently struggling to exercise because they can't go out or they can only go out once a day because they are schooling with their kids, because they've got caring responsibilities, because they're trying to hold a job down at the same time. All of this stuff that's in all of our heads to a certain extent right now gets in the way of staying fit and well and physically active. So join the movement with some very clever advertising and marketing brains behind it is a way to get people to ignore that voice in the head that tells you I've got to do this extra piece of work or I need to cook the dinner for the kids or I've not been to the shops yet today or whatever it is and just do something to benefit your health to in the long term, put you in a better place to cope with life and your job and your family and everything else that uh, is back to real life. Yeah. I hope it's working. You said you've been impressed by it, Koi, so I'm pleased about that. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a different continent, so Curry att attracted me. And uh, what I actually did with that was, I mean, fortunately, my son's um, three years old, goes back to, he's gone back to, school he just does play group um, just down the road from me so I drop him off in the morning at eight o'clock and I start my journey in terms of a one hour walk 
and I took, I, I mean, I basically took that campaign of join the movement to more or less inspire me because I got into a stage where, I mean, yes, I'm naturally a fit person, but I wasn't doing as much as I could do. Um, and I just thought, okay, you know what, this is actually an opportunity to actually just spend an hour on myself and in terms of my well-being and, and take a walk. And so it's definitely having its effect outside the continent on somebody like myself. So I can imagine the wonders it's actually doing for, for, for those in England. Um, so it's, I mean, great credit to, to Sport England again. Now, the last area I, I really want to touch on is um, virtual learning for children. Now, I mean, obviously, like yourself, myself, uh, we're dads, we're, we're having to do the homeschooling, especially on the, on the education part. Now, are we, do you feel that there's going to be more done around sports in, in this regard? Is there, are there going to be more and more virtual programs for, for parents to do perhaps at home in the meantime? Um, there are probably things already out there, but it'd be great to actually know what Sport England is doing and, and its, other, its other partners in, in this area. Um, and whether it's a big focus for you. This is a really interesting topic and it's a very difficult area to predict. And that's because you've got two competing forces. On the one hand, lots of people have moved their exercise online because what they were doing previously either wasn't available or they've just found a new habit. It's another important lesson, Coy, of my time at Sport England is that sport and physical activity is a habit like many other aspects of life. It's, and what I mean by that is it's a habit that's very easily broken. And it's not necessarily broken by sporting influences. Habits are broken because of life. Uh, habits are broken in the, in the days before coronavirus. Sporting habits were broken by people moving house or going from school to university or changing jobs or starting a new relationship, certainly by getting married and having children or retiring from work. These are the reasons why people stop doing activities or change doing activities. And again, this is a huge lesson because none of that is about sport. It's not about whether you get picked for the team or not. It's about life. So given that 2020 has seen the biggest change in lifestyle, probably for all of us that we can ever remember, that has had a dramatic effect on what people are doing with their free time and whether or not they are taking part in sport and activity. So back to those two competing forces. On the one hand, lots of people have now learned a new way of being active. In the UK, there have been notable initiatives a guy called Joe Wicks has done a, a, a daily exercise routine that captured quite a lot of the nation because he did it with his own very young children. And certainly uh, those people who were struggling to motivate young kids got a lot out of that. It got some really big numbers and he did a really good job for quite a while in the early days of the lockdown. There are many other examples of where exercise has now moved online. A really interesting aspect positively of this has been for teenage girls. So back to my point earlier about fear of judgment, which is a very loud voice in the head of a teenage girl. And I say this as a father of a 14 year old girl. Mm. Fear of judgment is probably bigger for teenage girls than it might be for any other age uh, demographic. And yet, or probably because of that, 
2020 has seen a surge in the physical activity levels of teenage girls in the UK, which we've seen through our data, which is an amazing contradictory piece of data. But when we've delved into it, it's precisely because young girls have now been given a choice about the things that they do because things have moved online and perhaps they were not as keen on team sports or cross country running or all that stuff that PE may have consisted of previously. They've moved online, they're doing dance classes, they're doing exercise classes, they're doing yoga and Pilates. Perhaps the things that they see their older female relatives doing, mums and aunties and whoever, and it's become an option for them. And as a result, teenage girl activity, which has long been a worry in this country, has increased, which is really interesting. So we've got to do what we can to try and preserve that, protect it and exploit it so that even more uh, young girls can, can see the benefits. So that's on the upside. Things The market has moved yeah. to provide for what the consumer wants. And in the case of teenage girls, it's been hugely successful. The other side of this, the threat or the difficulty is, of course, now that many outdoor activities have been prohibited or postponed, especially team sports, obviously, especially combat sports, especially event-based sports, things like park run or marathon training or cycle racing, etc. Those things are, are off limits at the moment, at least in groups. If the opportunity comes back for people to do, do those things, the question has got to be asked whether they will go back. Because of what I said before about habits being broken, we can't and won't assume that when the doors are unlocked and the weather's better and everybody can go out again, they will all return to doing what they were doing before, whether it's training, whether it's racing, whether it's competing. Um, partly because those habits have been interrupted and partly because there is still a significant anxiety and fear. And again, I can show this with the data. There is anxiety and fear about what people might be going back to. They won't just resume their lives as we all remember it in 2019 because of availability of those activities and because of what's in people's heads about their fear of what will be out there. So it's a long answer to what sounded like a simple question. How are we going to use virtual learning and virtual activities? Well, we've got two competing issues there. For some, it's been really beneficial. For others, much less so. And we can't and won't assume that everybody will go back to doing what they were doing before. We're going to have to adapt along with collaboration, which I was really pleased to hear you say early in this discussion, collaboration is going to be vital. No single organization, including Sport England, can deliver results alone. We've got to work together. Mm -hmm. The other part, uh, which I think will be important in 2021, is flexibility and innovation. Now, the, the pandemic has been terrible for lots of people and lots of lives but one of the small silver linings in that otherwise big cloud has been the way that many activities or businesses or providers have adapted what they can do and I think there'll be more of that in 2021 especially online. Yeah no I mean I, I totally <clears throat> I totally agree with you and um, the the part about obviously adapting we do have to adapt and you know, we can't make any mistakes about that and just assume that um, when things 
start to pick up again that everybody's going to rush to do the same thing. Um, I mean, I, I firmly believe that sports will return to some form of normality and obviously organisations like yourself will have that responsibility to continue doing the, the great work you're doing and making it happen. Um, but I think a message I, I probably need to put out there for, for the listeners around this is that wherever you're, you are in the world, regularly check in with your sporting bodies to find out what is avail available for your children. Uh, we need to keep them active. Um, everybody needs to stay safe at the same time. Um, so do check in regularly with your sporting bodies. Uh, you never know. Uh, there might be something uh, that you're able to use with your children at home. Now, Phil, um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the, on the Chief Coach podcast. Um, you've given a real great insight into your organization, the, the hard work that you've been putting in from a communication point of view, obviously, um, on different programs, addressing is issues on the, on the female side of sports, and then generally trying to get the whole nation back to, to some uplifting movement um, with, this, with this latest campaign of Join the Movement. Um, it's been great having you and um, really appreciated your time. Um, it's been quite a few years, but uh, never, never a better time now when we're all trying to reset and, and, and make the world a better place again. It's a real pleasure. Stay safe and have fun with those children. Thank you, Phil. Wishing you a great rest of year. Thank you again for tuning in. This is Chief Coach. Stay safe and stay healthy.